I love those words. Bear the cross as we wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. And I think that right there is what being a believer is all about, isn't it right there? That's it. <coughs> well, I'm not proud of the picture I'm about to show you, but I'm going to put it up there. This is what pastors do to get you guys to be focused. So that's, uh, that's a Fiat. One twenty-four. That is not the exact car, but it's almost exactly the car that I, my very first car that I owned, right there. It was actually that beautiful color green right there. Not sure what they were thinking. I got the car for $200, though, so I figured, hey, it didn't take me long to realize why I got the car for only $200. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I want to tell you this, though. I've driven a lot of cars since then, and nothing handled the road like that Fiat, man. That Fiat could handle the road. It was nice. Problem was that it wasn't on the road that often. That's, that's the challenge there with this Fiat. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, this was a, uh, it, it was a manual speed. Do you guys still remember those, right? And uh, so it was fun to drive. Now, I had, I, I, that was my first car, so I had to learn how to drive on a manual speed, and I wasn't always good at it, you know. And I'll never forget my neighbor, when I first got the car, my neighbor, his name was Sal, he said, look, I'll go with you. Come on, let's go, you know. Let's take it out there for a ride. You know, he was just trying to be nice. And I remember getting in the car and, and driving with him, and he says to me, he says, yeah, yeah, he says, these, these cars, they need to be revved up a bit, right? That was his nice way of saying to me, hey, relax. <laughs> Shift gears, man, please. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what he was actually saying. But he was saying it in his nice Italian way, right? And so uh, within just a couple of months of owning that car, uh, I noticed something. It would just, out of nowhere, slip into neutral. So I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? And I would lose power. I'm like, why, why is this happening? And so I would have to go ahead and put it back into gear. And at first it was not easy, but then... And it would do this over and over again. I would take my car to the mechanic. Oh, yeah. Joey, he got to know me, Joey. And, uh, in fact, it got to the point where I would just kind of drive up his little driveway, and he'd be standing on top of the driveway with a pack of matches. You know, basically, just say, you know, just come on, just do it. Go ahead, you know. Ah, man, you know, what's even worse, since we're vulnerable right now for a moment, might as well just let it all out. I was, uh, I was stupid enough to buy another one after this one died. I bought a 131. I figured, okay, maybe it's just the 124s, right? I need an odd number car. <laughs> That's what I need, right? A 131, and uh, no, no, that didn't work either. So why am I telling you? I'm wondering right now, uh, where do you go when your mind slips into neutral? 
What happens to you when your heart goes into neutral? I want you to think about that. Because Jesus says these words. He says, blessed are the what? Pure in heart. And then he says this, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When I hear the words, blessed are the pure in heart, I ask myself, where does my heart go when it sl slips into neutral? What does Jesus mean by pure in heart? This word, katharos, which in the Bible almost always means free from contaminating substances. And Jesus is saying, bless are your hearts, the ones who's, who are free from contaminated substances. Those who, when your heart slips into neutral, you, you naturally go towards God. Blessed are you, because you're the ones who are going to see God. See, here's the thing. I talk to people all the time that are incredulous about God. They don't believe in God. Why don't they believe in God? Because they can't see God. Well, maybe the reason why we can't see God or experience God is because we have not partaken of this purity that God is talking about here. And we're not talking about some outward, you know, demonstration of purity. I am talking about the kind of purity that changes you from the inside out. Paul puts it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is what? True. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What is Paul saying here? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, it's not enough to just clean up our act on the outside. Remember what he's saying to the, to the Pharisees? You know, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is what? Dirty. At one point, he gets pretty intense about it. He says, you know, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. And if you don't know what a sepulcher is, it's okay. I didn't know either at first. It's a grave. He says, you're like a whitewashed gravestone. It looks nice, but on the inside, you're full of what? Dead man bones, he says. He's getting pretty serious here, isn't he? Pure in heart. A heart unadulterated by pretense. A heart that moves towards transparency. And he's saying, look, I, I, it's not what you push out, but what do you fill yourself up to crowd out? those contaminating substances. And these are the things, those things that are true, noble, right. And so I, I guess what I'm saying to you is, and I'm asking all of us, what are we doing to make sure that we are filling our minds and hearts with those things that elicit purity? Are you following what I'm saying here? Right? What is it that I am filling myself out that's going to crowd out hate, that's going to crowd out greed, that's going to crowd out lust, that's going to crowd out injustice, that's going to crowd out resentment, that's going to crowd out 
arrogance, that's going to crowd out rebellion. What am I doing? What am I filling myself up with that's going to crowd that out? Because the problem is that when we fill ourselves up with stuff, it's either contaminating us or crowding stuff out. And I got to tell you, I'll be honest with you, in my life, there was a lot of stuff, and there still is stuff that needs to be crowded out. Crowded out. And I am going against the grain when I don't fill myself up with stuff that crowds that stuff out. So, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. The Proverbs say, For as a man thinketh, I'm using the old, the old translation, right? Thinketh. Whoever says that word anymore, thinketh. As a man thinketh, so is he. Right? As what's in our hearts is what comes out. David understood this. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were studying about David. He says at one point when he realizes that his life had been contaminated, he says, God, I need you to create in me a clean heart. See, you don't get to make yourself pure. You can't do that. People have tried. You can't make yourself pure. All you can do is to say, God, create in me a clean heart. God is willing to do that. Sometimes we work against them, but we can't make ourselves pure. Do you understand that? Restore within me a sense of being brand new. I need to be cleaned up. I need to be brand new. Do not throw me far away from your what? Presence. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. They will experience God. They will be in God's presence. Do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. So here, here's what I'm saying to you is if you want to experience God, if you've been in a place in your life where you said, why is it that I can't experience God? Listen, maybe, and I'm not judging, I'm not criticizing, I don't know your life, I have no idea, but maybe you have allowed stuff like hatred and greed and lust and arrogance and resentment and all those things to poison you so that you cannot be filled with the pure heart that God wants to give you. And if you cannot be filled with that, you don't get to see God. You want to see God? Let God work in you. God's always working. That's for sure. So David understood that a pure heart led to experiencing him. David understood that perhaps if we allow God to purify our hearts, Make our hearts transparent enough, unpolluted enough, we would see God. For God resides in the heart. Do you believe that? I'm wondering how those disciples and those people, as they were listening to Jesus talk, how they were taking this in. And Jesus says something really unsettling next. 
That's the thing about Jesus. He loves to unsettle people. Now, I don't know about you, and some of you guys are too young to get this, so you, know, you will one day. But I remember as a teenager, I'd look at my father and I'd be like, I am never going to be like that. Right? I am never going to say that to my kid. Do you know what I'm talking about? You make all these kind of promises, and it's like, no, not me. Thank you for teaching me, Dad, what not to do, right? And then as you get older and you have kids, you find yourself saying something that you said you would never say. And you know, I see, see, I see the older people going, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, you know. And it's like, what? Did that just come out of my mouth? I didn't say that, did I? I can't believe that. And it's not just those kinds of things. It's things like, like all of a sudden, I could be watching a soccer game. I could be watching Napoli play. with all, And nobody, I don't care who's around me. It doesn't matter. You guys are, are meaningless to me during that game because everybody was meaningless to Dad during that game. I mean, Dad's sitting there, and he's listening with intent, and there's like, Colorful words that come out of his mouth. Ah, there have been times when colorful words, Italian words, for some reason I think that's better, I don't know, come out of my mouth and I'm like, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? I am my father's son. The passion that he had for that sport, I have it. There was something else about my dad, by the way. My dad was a peacemaker. Whenever there was problems within the family or, the, or within us, he'd be the one trying to work it out. He was a conflict resolution guy. <laughs> he loved to harmonize people whenever they could, whenever he could. And, and, and so I've learned that. I, I, if I can, I could bring try to bring peace to something, I will. And Jesus says these words. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now catch what he says next. For they will be what? Called the children of God. Right? The hungry get filled you know, the, the, the mourners, their tears get dried up. You know, the other ones inherit the kingdom. This group here, they just get to be called the children of God. Can I tell you something? There is nothing more valuable, there is nothing more awesome than somebody coming up to you and going, you remind me of God. Right? And he says, and he says, look, it's this aspect about you. You are a peace. How many of you are peacemakers here? Don't raise your hand. I know you want to be humble. I get it. Ask, answer yourself, answer to yourself. How many of you are peacemakers? If you find yourself sometimes drawn to create peace, to make peace, you know what? You know what's going on right there? You are being a lot like God would be. God is a peacemaker. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm not really a peacemaker. Wait a minute, hold on. There's peace between people. There's peace between groups. And then there's peace between us and God. 
Some of you guys may not be good at helping to have peace between people, but you may be really, really good about helping people have peace between them and God. There's all kinds of peace that God wants us to have. But every time you engage in the activity of peacemaking, you are more like God. I love it. I love it now. Now that I'm older, when people say, you know, I, I, I go to family and, and I'll have an aunt or somebody say, you know, you remind me so much of Franco. That was my dad. Oh, thanks. You know, uh, just this last uh, uh, Christmas, we went to, to, to uh, my, my, ha- my uh, sister's house, stayed there for a little bit, talked a little bit. And at one point as we were talking, my sister says, you know, the older you get, the more you look like dad. Well, thanks. Right? Now, you would have told me that when I was a teenager. I would have slapped you, you know? Uh, maybe, not, maybe not that much, you know. But. Are you a peacemaker? You know, throughout history, we read about peacemakers. Some are famous, like Nelson Mandela. He had the courage to fight against the unjust system of apartheid. And for his political activities, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Do you think that stopped him? Oh, no. When he got out, he led uh, to free South Africa from apartheid. I mean, the guy was a peacemaker. Right? And uh, in, in more recent years, we have this young lady, Malala, and her last name. <laughs> Pakistani schoolgirl who defied threats of the Taliban to campaign for the right to just something as simple as education. Those things that we take for granted, they don't get it over there. And she's like, look, we could do this. And, and, and she rallied, and she, she was elected uh, uh, as a Nobel Prize winner in 2013, I believe it was. Survived being shot in the head and has become a global advocate for human rights. Till this day, she still speaks strongs. And she has this quote. I love this quote by her. She says, when the world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. When the world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. Are there things in your life that you see that people are silent about? Well, maybe you need to speak up. Because speaking up is a peacemaking thing. You know, Whenever we think about what Jesus said, I can't help but think Jesus saying, well, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Well, what is that about, right? It's a blessing of the peacemaker, but you're bringing a sword? Why? What are we doing here? What's going on? What Jesus was saying is, look, it's way bigger than that. The reality is, for peace to happen, sometimes you've got to challenge people. For peace to, to happen, sometimes you have to awaken people. And he says, and I know what's going to happen here. People are going to look at me and say, I thought you came to liberate us from the Romans. But instead, you're sitting here preaching about poor in spirit, spiritual hunger, meekness for goodness sake. Can you imagine being a zealot? This rebellious group, very, very intense passionate group of Jews that were 
So kamikaze focused on getting rid of the Romans. Can you imagine what they must have thought when he said those words? See, to most of us in here in the U.S., we cannot understand what it's like to be born, to be raised, and to survive every day in a war-torn country. We have no idea what this girl has gone through. And can I be honest with you? I don't think I could ever. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. And maybe, maybe it's those experiences that have made us strong. Is that possible? Why is peace so elusive in countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and Palestine and Israel? No matter how hard they try, why is it so elusive? I love what this uh, person once said, Lloyd Corey. He said, peace is that brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. Hmm. In the time of Christ, the situation was really dire. Pax Romana, Roman peace, was the language of the day. And all of Israel was under Roman rule. And the idea of peace to them was just made them want to throw up. Because the peace was this forced peace, enforced peace by the Romans. Imagine the scene as Jesus one again scans the crowd and says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And the zealots there going, you, you idealist pacifist. He's selling us out. Why are we listening to him? See, Rome was the big brother with their hands heavily on the pocket of the Jews. Nobody wanted peace with Rome, maybe the tax collectors. But nobody else wanted peace with the Romans. You can imagine the glaring stares as Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. But no matter the stairs, his words were fixed on reaching farther and deeper than the cause of the Jewish zealots and the peace-enforcing Romans. Jesus was talking about a peace that was way more than this. In fact, when you think about what he was getting at, you begin to realize that his peace had much more to do than the peace even between ourselves. His aim was the heart the mind and soul of men and women seeking greater comfort than we could ever imagine. See, he came not only to be the Prince of Peace, but it was the Prince of Peace of a much larger scale, a much greater mission. He was the Prince of Peace to bring peace to a world that was at war with God. Are you following what I'm saying? Do you know that when you are out of the, when you are out of sync with God, you're not neutral, you are at war with God. You, you understand that, right? If you are out of sync with God, it's not like you're in neutral mode. There's only two modes. You're either at war with God or you are on God's side. There is no neutral ground. For some of you, this might be a little bit tough to swallow, because some of you want to feel like you're in neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. You understand that, right? 
You're either on God's side or you're not on God's side. That's it. Right? The Apostle Paul understood this really powerfully. And the book of Ephesians says these words, and I love this. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. In other words, by dying on the cross, Jesus connected God and man. See, at first you think that Paul is just talking about Gentiles and Jews, but then you realize, no, no, wait, hold on. He's going way further than that. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. By doing what? By dying on the cross. He has abolished in his flesh the enmity, this, this anger, this war that is the law of con co commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death this enmity, this war. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. And he's saying, look, when Jesus came, everything changed. Everything changed. Before Jesus, we had Jews and Gentiles. We had law and we had this and we had, you know, when Jesus came, everything changed. When he died on that cross, he connected everybody that wanted to, to God the Father. Because the day that we rebelled and, and, and sided with Lucifer was the day that we separated ourselves from God. And God had to put into a plan, and I love this about God. Before we were even born, he had to put into a plan, a, a, a way for you and I to experience that wall breaking down and us to be at peace with God the Father again. And every time you engage in the courageous act of peacemaking, you reflect what Jesus is doing. You are a son and daughter of God. See, Jesus did what he did because he was the son of God. That's what God would do. That's what God did through Jesus. Are you following me? But I can tell you this. When Jesus was preaching this, they were not following him. Even the disciples were a little conf confused. Like, what do you mean? Peace? Peace? You want me to, to bring peace? And so he looks. And then he says, okay, well, if you think that that's bad, let me give you the next one. He's like, you know, just let me just get it all out now. And he says these words. He says, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
If you came to church and you're like, what is going on here? He's talking about separation between God and man and, and, and peace and purity of heart. And now he's like saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when people persecute you or denigrate you or despise you or tell lies about you on my account. But when this happens, rejoice and be glad. <laughs> Remember that God's prophets have been persecuted in the past and know that in heaven you have a great reward be glad and rejoice if you're being persecuted. Yeah, where's the party? I know that as Jesus is saying this, tears are welling up in his eyes. He's thinking about John, who one day was going to be thrown into a cauldron of oil and then left alone on some island by himself to not have any connection He's thinking about Matthew, who was killed by a sword, and Thaddeus, who was plummeted with stones and then crucified and beheaded. And Thomas and Andrew and Peter and Bartholomew, all of them just martyred for the persecuted, for righteousness' sake. And as he's saying this, there's tears in his eyes, and he knows, he knows what they don't know. He says, you think you're getting persecuted? You have no idea. Wait and see. But I want you to know that when it happens, I want you to remember my words. Blessed are you. Be glad and rejoice. We are told that when James, who was beheaded, on his way to be martyred, James' accuser, the one that actually said, this guy is a Christian. This guy here is destroying our society. This guy right the guy, and he was making sure that he was going to, to, to crucify him, he began to just be totally impacted by James' attitude. James was singing hymns. And this guy was like, what is going on? What is it with this guy? And James was like, it's okay, man. I forgive you. Everything is okay. And, does, you know, God's, gonna, God's, God's got this is bigger. We are told that the man was crucified with James that day. Think about that for a second. Is it possible that your example of rejoicing during times of intense persecution could actually be the light that shines? This is why right afterwards he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light. Right? What is he saying? He says, don't you dare get discouraged. Don't you dare get discouraged. Some of you guys are sitting here thinking, well, in the United States, we are never going to experience persecution. 
Some of you guys already are. You just don't even realize that you are because you're glad and rejoicing without realizing you're glad and rejoicing. You do know, though, that we live in an evil world, right? You do know that this world is not our home, right? You do know that there are evil forces, even today, working towards the destructions of believers. Anton LaVey, who was a carnival sideshow operator, turned high priest of evil and opened his church of Satan some years ago. I've met some of these guys. He, he attracted actresses like Jane Mansfield and, and others who sought to sell their souls. And there is a, there is a, there is a, a, a satanic Bible. And everything they stand for is against who God is, but even more so, it's about who they are. It's all about self-centered. It's all about them. And you would be surprised of who has joined these churches. You would be surprised how actually it is so absolutely widespread. And let me read you some of his Beatitudes. Blessed are the powerful, for they shall be reverenced among men. Cursed are the feeble, for they shall be blotted out. Blessed are the bold, for they shall be masters of the world. Cursed are the righteously humble, for they shall be trodden on the cloven hoofs. Blessed are the iron-handed, for the unfit shall flee before them. Cursed are the poor in spirit. Cursed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be spat upon. Do you think this is fake? Let me tell you, man, the war is real, and it is pretty amazing what's going on behind the scenes that we are, have no idea of because we, Satan has done the fantastic job in numbing us, in making us feel like we're safe and secure and everything is okay, but the truth is that not everything is okay. You understand what I'm saying to you? And the closer we come to that day, when we see Jesus in the cloud, the more it's going to get intense. That's just the reality. And we are kidding ourselves if we just want to come to church and hear nice little things. Sometimes we've got to be awakened to the reality. Now, I don't always preach this way. If you're new here, please know this is, this is a little bit uncharacteristic of me. But I do want you to be aware of the realities but here's what I want you to know, that God is more powerful than any of that. Amen. That he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Right? That with God, you can do anything. I just don't want you to lose sight of that. So you just grab a hold of God. Do not give up on God. Yes, the war is real. Yes, the enemy is real. But yes, the cause is great. And believers all throughout history, because they are contrary to the ways of this earth, experience persecution. Some of you are experiencing it today. If you were not a threat to Satan, people would leave you alone. 
And I won't tell you some of the things that I've had to go through. There were times when I thought, why is this happening? Why would somebody say this about me or, or do this? I mean, I could tell you stories that would just make you like, really? Yes. You don't think pastors are exempt, do you? You don't think leaders in this church are exempt, do you? So let me just say this to you. Careful. Careful of the words you use when you criticize a servant of God. Careful of the words. I know that you're thinking, I want to do this for God's glory, but be careful. Many have done things for God's glory, but they were really working for Lucifer without even realizing it. Are you following what I'm saying here? If you cannot speak your opinion with love and compassion and the desire to first seek to understand and then to be understood, then you shouldn't say anything. Be careful how you criticize a servant of God. And I'm not talking about just pastors. And by the way, Jesus didn't mean persecution arising because you're difficult or hard to get along with or objectionable in conduct, immature in action. That's not what he's talking about. There are people who do really dumb things and then they're amazed that it backfire, backfires on them. I'm being persecuted. Well, why did you do that? Now, please, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But I need us to be aware of what Jesus meant by persecution. Jesus didn't mean persecution arising out of some fanatical religious belief. And then you are some kind of martyr because of that, right? That's... No, that's like Jim Jones stuff, you know what I mean? That's like Waco stuff, David Koresh stuff, you know? Jesus was talking about being persecuted because you are a threat to the kingdom of Lucifer for righteousness' sake. It is a perennial promise. He says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a promise of being identified with God's people. That's the whole point here. Do you remember, there's a story in the book of Acts. There's a story in the book of Acts where this guy named Saul is on a horse. And he is going to a place called Damascus to persecute Christians. You know this story? You know what I'm talking about? And then as he is on his high horse, this light flashes and Jesus knocks him off his high horse. And Saul says, what is going on? And Saul says, who are you? Do you know what Jesus says to him? He says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that. See, if you are a recipient of persecution on whatever level, here's what I want you to know. 
Jesus identifies himself with you. When you're criticizing somebody in the wrong way with the wrong attitude for the wrong purpose, let me tell you right now, you're criticizing Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now look, we all make mistakes. Please, I get it. I understand. And I'm not talking about the mistakes. I've made them too. But I got to tell you, if I make that mistake and I realize I make a mistake, I need to go to that brother or that sister and say, I blew it. I had no right to do that. And then I need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I blew it. When I did it to the least of these children, I did it unto you. In essence, Jesus was calling his disciples and all those who would follow to stand shoulder to shoulder with him. I'm going to ask the team to come up here for a moment as we close here. To resist the pull of mediocrity and superficiality. To turn the world right side up. Because the world is upside down. To live on the threshold of heaven. For the heartbeat, for home. So that nothing holds, holds us back. Do you believe that this is not our home? Are you sure? Do you want to ask God to, to help you just be reminded of that on a regular basis? I know some of you, like in here, are young. You want to get married first before Jesus returns. I get it. And, and maybe you will. And then, you know, maybe Jesus will come. You know, Jesus' timing is perfect. Do you believe that? I believe that. You've, all, you've, you've heard me talk a lot about mission trips these past few weeks. And you would never go on a mission trip out of the country, never, ever, ever, without our passports. Oh, no. And because we were traveling with teenagers who sometimes are forgetful, you know, look, nothing wrong with them, you know, just so you know. We wanted to entrust one person to hold all of the passports throughout the trip. And they would only be given when it was time for the need for the passports, right? And I don't know if Spencer still has the briefcase. I assume he does. But there was the passport briefcase which sometimes doubled as a rook table. And in that, we knew, there was, you always knew where the passports were as long as you knew where the briefcase was. I'll never forget the first trip to Panama. We went to this one border uh, of Costa Rica and Panama. There we were. And, and they took the passports from us. And there was this kind of uneasiness from all of the leaders. We were like, okay, but what are you doing? Oh, we need to go through them all, you know. And, and, but yes, but those are our passports, you know. And it was the, the worst feeling ever because if you didn't have your passport, then who were you? 
I mean, I have. And, and, then, and then when we come back from mission trips, we would go through customs. You've been through this, right? And you walk up, and the guy's there. I don't know why I get nervous when, when I go through. I, I, I'm, I'm an American. What's the matter with me, you know? But, but then to hear the person say, uh, ah, so you, you were in Panama, huh? Well, welcome home. I love that. Welcome home. There's nothing like that. Where's your passport? Where's your passport, really? Do you have a passport from heaven? Do you? Yeah? Are you sure? Please make sure. And let me tell you something right now. It's not that difficult. It's more difficult to get an American passport than to get a heavenly one. Just want you to know that. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll finish with this quote. Remember, those early days after you first saw the light. Remember those early days after you first saw the light. Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you and others your friends. If some friends were, went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke and and seize the goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure, the author of Hebrews says. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. Do you believe that? It's still a sure thing. You need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. And then he says this, just in case you're sitting there like I did the first time I read this. He says, no, 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 Sergio, it won't be long now. He's on his way. He'll show up most any minute. Do you believe it? But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, he won't be very happy. But we're not quitters, are we? We're not quitters. Oh, no. We'll stay with it and survive, trusting all the way. Do you believe that? Are you willing to stay with it and survive and trust all the way? Regardless of the persecution? Regardless of how hard it is in a world that is constantly trying to infiltrate our minds with impure stuff? Regardless of all the war that is trying to destroy the peace, are, are you going to stick it out? Remember from the very beginning, the answer was simple. Jesus says it at the end of the whole sermon. And if I were you, I would go home and read the Sermon on the Mount. Not just the Beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? And everything else will fall into place.
Beatitudes. This is a weird word for us. When's the last time like you used the word beatitudes? You know, we don't use this word, right? So for some of us, it's so hard to, to understand. But, but I, I hope that as we read through these, here's the way to understand it. Write it this way. B slash attitudes. Beatitudes is, is the attitudes that God wants us to have. Beatitudes. So may hope be your anthem. May Christ always be before you. May Christ always be behind you. May Christ always be in your heart. May hope be your anthem.